Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Hey everybody, it's Chris here with another episode of Super Theism, and I'll be continuing where I left off uh, yesterday, uh, reading Drake's work, Thomas Jefferson Was Wrong, A Complete Refutation of the Enlightenment. I believe I left off yesterday talking about the Constitution and how it is unbiblical. We will continue to read that about that. So we're going to start here. It says, for some strange reason, many American Christians think that they, they have religious solidarity with the, quote, founding fathers of our nation. I would like to begin dispelling these myths beyond refutation, because I know even some Reformed people who will fight tooth and nail to preserve their constitutionalist fantasy that they hold so dear. The following is a letter written by Thomas Jefferson where he fully demonstrates that he is an enemy of Messiah and Thomas Jefferson, the writings of Thomas Jefferson, memoir, correspondence, and miscellaneous. Edition, Randolph, Volume 4, Second Edition, New York, Gray and Bowen, 1830, pages 325 to 329. <clears throat> Quote, Letter C-L-I-I to William Short, Monticello, August 4th, 1820. Dear Sir, I owe you a letter for your favor of June the 29th, which was received in due time, and there being no subject of the day of particular interest, I will make this a supplement to mine of April the 13th. My aim in that was to justify the character of Jesus against the fictions of his pseudo-followers, which have exposed him to the inference of being an imposter. For if we could believe that he really countenanced the follies, the falsehoods, and the char charlatanisms which his biographers father on him and admit the misconstructions, interpolations, and theorizations of the fathers of the early and fanatics of the latter ages, the conclusion would be irresistible by every sound mind that he was an imposter. So that was a pretty damning admission by Thomas Jefferson there. I give no credit to their falsifications of his actions and doctrines. And to rescue his character, the postulate in my letter asked only what is granted in reading every every other historian. When Livy and Siculus, for example, tell us things which coincide with our experience of the order of nature... We credit them on their word and place their narrations among the records of credible history. But when they tell us of calves speaking, of statues sweating blood, and other things against the course of nature, we reject these as fables not belonging to history. In like manner, when, an, when a historian speaking of a character well-known and established on satisfactory testimony imputes to it things incompatible with that character, we reject them without hesitation, 
and assent to that only of which we have better evidence. Had Plutarch informed us that Caesar and Cicero passed their whole lives in religious exercises and abstinence from the affairs of the world, we should reject what was so inconsistent with their established characters, still crediting what he relates in conformity with our ideas of them. So again, the superlative wisdom of Socrates is testified by all antiquity and placed on ground not to be questioned. When, therefore, Plato puts into his mouth such paralogisms, such quibbles on words and sophisms as a schoolboy would be ashamed of, we conclude they were the whimsies of Plato's own foggy brain and acquit Socrates of puerilities so unlike his character. I say that this free exercise of reason is all I ask for the vindication of the character of Jesus. We find in the writings of his biographers a matter of two distinct descriptions. First, a groundwork of vulgar ignorance, of things impossible, of superstitions, fanaticisms, and fabrications. Intermixed with these, again, are sublime ideas of the Supreme Being, aphorisms and precepts of the purest morality and benevolence, sanctioned by a life of humility, innocence, and simplicity of manners, neglect of riches, absence of worldly ambition and honors with an eloquence and persuasiveness which have not been surpassed. These could not be inventions of the groveling authors who relate them. They are far beyond the powers of their feeble minds. They show that there was a character, the subject of their history, whose splendid conceptions were above all suspicion of being interpolations from their hands. Can we be at a loss in separating such materials and ascribing each to its genuine author? The difference is obvious to the eye and to the understanding, and we may read as we run to each his part, and I will venture to affirm that he who, as I have done, will undertake to winnow this grain from its chaff, will find it not to require a moment's consideration. The parts fall asunder of themselves, as would those of an image of metal and clay. There are, I acknowledge, passages not free from objection, which we may, with probability, ascribe to Jesus himself, but claiming indulgence from the circumstances under which he acted. His object was the reformation of some articles in the religion of the Jews, as taught by Moses. That sect had presented for the object of their worship a being of terrific character, cruel, vindictive, capricious, and unjust. (laughs) Where have we heard that before? Jesus, taking for his type the best qualities of the human head and heart, wisdom, justice, goodness, and adding to them power, ascribed all of these but an infinite perfection to the supreme being, and formed him really worthy of their adoration. Moses had either not believed in a future state of existence, or had not thought it essential to be explicitly taught to his people. Jesus inculcated that doctrine with emphasis and precision. 
Moses had bound the Jews to many idle ceremonies, mummeries, and observances of no effect towards producing the social utilities which constitute the essence of virtue. Jesus exposed their futility and insignificance. <laughs> the one instilled into his people the most antisocial spirit towards other nations. The other preached philanthropy and universal charity and benevolence. Really now. That's why Yeshua said in Matthew twenty three thirty three, You serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? The office of reformer of the superstitions of a nation is ever dangerous. Jesus had to walk on the perilous confines of reason and religion, and a step to right or left might place him within the gripe of the priests of the superstition, a bloodthirsty race as cruel and remorseless as the being whom they represented as the family god of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, and the local god of Israel. That's wrong again. See John 7:19. Quote, did not Moses give you the law and yet none of you carry out the law? End quote. They were constantly laying snares too to entangle him in the web of the law. He was justifiable therefore in avoiding these by evasions, by sophisms, by misconstructions and misapplications of scraps of the prophets and in defending himself with these their own weapons as sufficient ad hominem ad homines, at least. That Jesus did not mean to impose himself on mankind as the Son of God, physically speaking, I have been convinced by the writings of men more learned than myself in that lore. <laughs> but that he might conscientiously believe himself inspired from above is very possible. The whole religion of the Jews inculcated on him from his infancy was founded in, in the belief of divine inspiration. The fumes of the most disordered imaginations were recorded in their religious code as special communications of the deity, and as it could not but happen that, in the course of ages, events would now and then turn up to which some of these vague rhapsodies might be accommodated by the aid of allegories, figures, types, and other tricks upon words, they have not only preserved their credit with the Jews of all subsequent times, but are the foundation of much of the religions of those who have schematized from them. Elevated by the enthusiasm of a warm and pure heart, conscious of the high strains of an eloquence which had not been taught him, he might readily mistake the coruscations of his own fine genius for inspirations of a higher order. This belief carried, therefore, no more personal imputation than the belief of Socrates that himself was under the care and admonitions of a guardian daemon. And how many of our wisest men still believe in the reality of these inspirations while perfectly sane on all other subjects? Excusing, therefore, on these inspirations while perfectly or excusing, therefore, on these considerations, those passages in the Gospels which seem to bear marks of weakness in Jesus, ascribing to him what alone is consistent with the great and pure character of which the same writings furnish proofs, and to their proper authors their own trivialities and imbecilities, I think myself authorized to conclude a purity and distinction of his character, 
in opposition to the impostures which those authors would fix upon him, and that the postulate of my former letter is no more than is granted in all other historical works. Mr. Coria is here on his farewell visit to us. He has been much pleased with the plan and progress of our university, and has given some valuable hints to its botanical branch. He goes to do, I hope, much good in his new country, the public instruction there, as I understand, being within the department destined for him. He is not without dissatisfaction, and reasonable dissatisfaction, too, with the piracies of Baltimore, but his justice and friendly dispositions will, I am sure, distinguish between the iniquities of a few plunderers and the sound principles of our country at large, and of our government especially. From many conversations with him, I hope he sees and will promote in his new situation the advantages of a cordial fraternization among all the American nations and the importance of their coalescing in an American system of policy totally independent of and unconnected with that of Europe. The day is not distant when we may formally require a meridian of partition through the ocean which separates the two hemispheres, on the hither side of which no European gun shall ever be heard, nor an American on the other, and when, during the rage of the eternal wars of Europe, the lion and the lamb within our regions shall lie down together in peace." The excess of population in Europe and want of room render war, in their opinion, necessary to keep down the excess of numbers. Here, room is abundant, population scanty, and peace the necessary means for producing men, to whom the redundant soil is offering the means of life and happiness. The principles of society there and here, then, are ra radically different, and I hope no American patriot will ever lose sight of the essential policy of interdicting in the seas and territories of both Americas, the ferocious and sanguinary contests of Europe. I wish to see this coalition begun. I am earnest for an agreement with the maritime powers of Europe, assigning them the, the task of keeping down the piracies of their seas and the cannibalisms of the African coasts, and to us the suppression of the same enormities within our seas, and for this purpose I should rejoice to see the fleets of Brazil and the United States riding together as brethren of the same family, and pursuing the same object. And indeed, it would be of happy augury to begin at once this concert of action here, on the invitation of either to the other government, while the way might be preparing for withdrawing our cruisers from Europe and preventing naval collisions there which daily endanger our peace, end quote. Then there are the infamous Barbary Treaties, quote, the Barbary Treaties, 1786 to 1816, Treaty of Peace and Friendship, signed at Tripoli, November 4, 1796, Treaty of Peace and Friendship, signed at Tripoli, November 4, 1796, and at Algiers, January 3, 1797. <clears throat> the following 14 pages of Arabic are a reproduction of the text in the original treaty book, first the pages of the treaty in left to right order of pag pagination, and then the, quote, receipt and the, quote, note mentioned according to the Barlow translation in Article 10. 
Following the Arabic and in the same order is the translation of Joel Barlow as written in the treaty book, the twelve articles of the treaty, the receipt, and the note. And after these is the approval of David Humphreys from the same document, which is fully described in the notes. Following those texts is the annotated translation of 1930. So Article 11 says... As the government of the United States of America is not in any sense founded on the Christian religion, as it has in itself no character of enmity against the laws, religion, or tranquility of Muslimen, and as the said states never have entered into any war or act of hostility against any Mahometan nation, it is declared by the parties that no pretext arising from religious opinion shall ever produce an interruption of the harmony existing between the two countries, end quote. So Jeffersonianism is a system that is purposely and knowledgeably setting itself against the Messiah. So... It says, sorry, I was messing with the stuff. It says, um, end notes, Second Chronicles 26, 18. And they withstood Uzziah the king, and said unto him, It appertaineth not unto thee, Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priests, the sons of Aaron, that are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed, neither shall it be for thine honor from the Lord God. Matthew 18.17 And if ye shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if ye neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican, Matthew sixteen nineteen. And I will, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever that shall that that whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. First Corinthians twelve twenty eight. And God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. In verse 29, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Ephesians 4.11 and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 4.1 Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Romans 10.15 and how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Hebrews 5.4 Hebrews 
and no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. Isaiah 49:23. And kings shall be thy nursing fathers, and their queens thy nursing mothers. They shall bow down to thee with their face toward the earth, and lick up the dust of thy feet. And thou shalt know that I am the Lord, for they shall not be ashamed that wait for me. Psalm 122.9 Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek thy good. Ezra 7.23 Whatsoever is commanded by the God of heaven, let it be diligently done for the house of the God of heaven. For why should there be wrath against the realm of the king and his sons? And thou, Ezra, after the wisdom of thy God that is in thine hand, set magistrates and judges, which may judge all the people that are beyond the river, all such as know the laws of thy God, and teach ye them that know them not. And whosoever will not do the law of thy God and the law of the king, let judgment be executed speedily upon him, whether it be unto death, or to banishment, or to confiscation of goods, or to imprisonment. Blessed be the Lord God of our fathers, which hath put such a thing as this in the king's heart, to beautify the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem, and hath extended mercy unto me before the king and his counselors, and before all the king's mighty princes. And I was strengthened as the hand of the Lord my God was upon me, and I gathered together out of Israel chief men to go up with me. Leviticus 24:16. And he that blasphemeth the name of the Lord, he shall surely be put to death, and all the congregation shall certainly stone him, as well as the stranger, as he that is born, as he that is born in the land, when he blasphemeth the name of the Lord, shall be put to death. Deuteronomy 13.5 And that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death, because he has spoken to turn you away from the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of bondage to thrust thee out of the way which the Lord thy God commanded thee to walk in. So shalt thou put the evil away from the midst of thee. If thy brother, the son of thy mother, or thy son, or thy daughter, or the wife of thy bosom, or thy friend, which is as thine own soul, entice thee secretly, saying, Let us go and serve other gods which thou hast not known, thou nor thy fathers. If thou shalt hear, say, in one of thy cities, which the Lord thy God hath given thee to dwell there, saying, etc. 2 Kings 18.4 He removed the high places, and brake the images, and cut down the groves, and brake in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto these days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it Nehushtan. 1 Chronicles 13, 1-8, 2 Kings 24, 1-25, 2 Chronicles 34, 33, And Josiah took away all the abominations out of all the countries that pertained to the children of Israel, and made all that were present in Israel to serve, even to serve the Lord their God. And all his days they departed not from following the Lord the God of their fathers. 2 Chronicles 15, 12, and they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul, that whosoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel should be put to death, whether small or great, whether man or woman. <clears throat> Second Chronicles 19.8 Moreover in Jerusalem did Jehoshaphat set of the Levites and of the priests and of the chief of the fathers of Israel for the judgment of the Lord, and for controversies when they returned to Jerusalem. And he charged them, saying, Thus shall ye do in the fear of the Lord, faithfully and with a perfect heart. 
And what cause soever shall come to you of your brethren that dwell in their cities between blood and blood, between law and commandment, statutes and judgments, ye shall even warn them that they trespass not against the Lord, and so wrath come upon you and upon your brethren. This do, and ye shall not trespass. And behold, Amariah the chief priest is over you in all matters of the Lord, and Zebediah the son of Ishmael, the ruler of the house of Judah, for all the king's matters. Also the Levites shall be officers before you. Deal courageously, and the Lord shall be, be with the good. Matthew 2, 4. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. Okay, so next chapter, it's called uh, Sense and Goodness Without God, A Defense of Metaphysical Naturalism by Richard Carrier Reviewed. One, Dr. Carrier vindicates my concern that atheism is an extension of the ancient monasteries and does not reflect any kind of evolution, enlightenment, or progress of mankind. After praise, praising the Taoist and Buddhist traditions and the ecstatic experience he enjoyed as a Taoist, he states, quote, More and more I found I agreed with Confucians against the Taoists, but still sided with the Taoists against the Confucians on other issues. And in the dance of thesis and antithesis, I came to my own synthesis, which can now be described as a science-based secular humanism rooted in metaphysical naturalism which this book shall describe and defend. More and more I found brilliant wisdom in Western philosophers like Epicurus or Seneca or Iyer or Hume, and so my worldview became more eclectic and for that reason more complete. By drawing the best from many points of view, I was purging myself of the faults of relying on only one, all the while seeking carefully for a coherent and complete philosophy of life. End quote. That was from page 14. Quote, in time, two things happened. On the one hand, my studies led me to a more Western humanist philosophy, though I never abandoned the best of my Eastern intellectual heritage. I fell in love with knowledge and science and logic in the quest and fight for truth, end quote. It's from page 18. Dr. Carrier, in his naivety, maintains that the monastic systems are in accord with nature. Quote, Above all, the Tao told me the simple truth, that my humanity was a good and natural thing. From sex to humor, all had an accepted place, without being forced into unnatural modes of thought or behavior. Sin was the artificial deviation from the harmony of nature, and if you would simply stop meddling with things, you would be free of, of sin. End quote. From page 13. Then why the monasteries? Why the celibacy? A monastery is anything but natural. Number two, Dr. Carrier, in typical Yankee piety, feigns his disgust for violence, stating, quote, I figured now, with my greater understanding and maturity, I might receive more from it than I did as a child. Instead, now that I can understand it, I was able to see far worse things in it than I ever did before. I saw a terrible, sinful God... <clears throat> By the standards of the simple, kind wisdom of Taoism, a jealous, violent, short-tempered, vengeful being whose behavior is nonsensical and overly meddlesome and unenlightening. 
Later, I was to find that the vast majority of Christians never actually read the Bible and have no idea what is really in there, and the hypocrisy of them telling me I had to read the whole thing before I could make an informed choice is still palpable. In all, I can say that the Old Testament disgusted me while the New Testament disappointed me, end quote, page 15. As I have already proved, the atheist regimes of the past 150 years were more violent than anything the world has ever seen. The Roman Catholic Inquisition took 605 years to kill 50 million people. The atheist regimes, on the other hand, needed less than one century to claim 120 million plus. <laughs> Just special pleading fallacies is all they have. Double standard. Three, Dr. Carrier's knowledge of the Bible and its textual transmission, an issue many think him quite qualified to speak about, is actually quite embarrassing. Quote, I sat down to read it all through, every word, front to back, Old Testament and New. I have since read the entire New Testament in the original Greek. End quote. Page 15. The New Testament was not originally written in Greek, but Semitic languages. That's correct, Hebrew and Aramaic. Four, Dr. Carrier exemplifies the exact logical fallacy of the scientific method, affirming the consequent, quote, The seed from which the success of science was born is a simple three-step process, adduction, deduction, induction. In general, we identify a problem, gather relevant data, formulate a hypothesis, usually an explanatory model of what is really going on, and test the predictions entailed by that hypothesis looking for whatever would have to be the case and whatever could not be the case if our model were correct. In other words, we creatively, quote, adduce an hypothesis from some collection of data and questions about that data. Then we logically, quote, deduce what new facts that hypothesis must entail if it is true, and then employ any of the of a variety of empirical, quote, inductive methods to test that hypothesis by seeing if these new predictions hold up, end quote. It's from page 214. Five, Dr. Carrier feigns honest inquiry, stating, quote, philosophy is therefore no idle pastime, but a serious business, fundamental to our lives. It should be our first, if not our only religion, a religion wherein worship is replaced with curiosity, devotion with diligence, holiness with, with sincerity, ritual with study, and scripture with the whole world and the whole of human learning. The philosopher regards it as tantamount to a religious duty to question all things and be, to ground her faith in what is well investigated and well proved rather than what is merely well asserted or well liked. Instead of keeping her nose ever in one book, she reads widely and constantly. Instead of aligning herself with this or that view and keeping only like-minded company, she mingles and discusses all views with everyone. And above all, she commits herself to the constant study and application of language, logic, and method, and seeks always to perfect by testing and correcting her total view of all things." End quote. This is a disgusting piece of psychological manipulation, for we know atheist liberals are all too intolerant and belligerent to curiosity and questions when men like me question their ideas of racial equality. Men like Jason Richwine and Nobel Prize winner James Watson know all too well the co complete belligerence of men like Dr. Carrier are to probing questions. 
probe into the history of the sexual revolution and the lies and rape of the Kinsey Institute it was based on, probe into the absolutely ridiculous heliocentric model, the history of materialism and all its failed constructions such as atomism and Aristotelianism, the logical fallacies of the scientific method, the supposed idea that human beings are inherently good and desirous of truth and perfection, the sophistry of equality and, and the equal sophistry and ambiguity of the of the idea of value, etc., and you will face the greatest belligerence and religious dogmatism coming from the regime of Dr. Carrier. This paragraph is a load of complete bullshit, and simply reading it brings me to nausea. Number six, Dr. Carrier shows he has no knowledge of the religion he is criticizing or that he is using deliberate psychological manipulation when he states, quote, Wherever we have been able to look beyond what we have made with our own hands, the explanation for every form of order we have ever found in nature has turned out to be just such mindless natural forces and nothing else. The most logical conclusion is that there is nothing else, end quote, page 88. The biblical Hebrew tradition has been well known, even by Dr. Carrier's own tradition, to be the traditional Western basis for not seeing natural phenomenon as having mind and will. Western Civilization, Ideas, Politics, and Society, Volume 1, to, 19, to 1789, by Marvin Perry, Myrna Chase, James Jacob, Margaret Jacob, Theodore von Lau, states on page 37 to 38, quote, Therefore, when the Hebrews confront a natural phenomenon, they experience God's magnificent handiwork, not objects with wills of their own. All natural phenomenon, rivers, mountains, storms, stars, were divested of any supernatural quality. The stars and planets were creations of Yahweh, not divinities or the abodes of divinities. The Hebrews neither regarded them with awe nor worshipped them. This removal of the gods from nature is a necessary prerequisite for scientific thought, end quote. Seven, Dr. Carrier never explained why human beings are the only species on this earth with written language, grammar, dictionaries, and mathematics. Eight, Dr. Carrier glories in the accomplishments of artificial intelligence and then steps on his own tongue by saying, quote, beyond that, the same conclusion can be reached by several other independent lines of observation. For instance, as we have shown, there are no minds without complex physical brains, therefore there can be no divine mind, since there is clearly no gigantic brain for it. On the other hand, if God can have a mind without a physical brain, it is inexplicable why we need them. It is far more probable that such a God would create beings with minds like his, Minds that could not be damaged or destroyed, rather than minds needlessly dependent on something so fragile as a brain. End quote. Page 256. If intelligence requires a brain, then how can you claim the accomplishments of artificial intelligence? Dr. Carrier protests the exact anarchy his movement is built on, quote, First, rather than see their oppression as a mandate to reform how laws are changed, thus securing them the peaceful access to power they lack, such radicals often choose violent means directly to their desired ends instead, and thus irrationally choose anarchy over order, which is self-defeating. 
Second, rather than acknowledge that they cannot get what they want because they have failed to persuade others to agree to it, and instead of seeking such agreement by improving their arguments and evidence and their diligence in communicating this to society, they often abandon the very principle that the law is what all agree to and resort instead to compulsion, the very tool of the tyrant, the epitome of what they are supposed to be standing against. And third, sometimes, rather than acknowledge that they have failed to secure the agreement of their peers because they are wrong, or at least lack sufficient evidence and valid argument to know they are right, they abandon reason and take up arms instead, which is a fundamental rejection of even the idea of a social contract, a degeneration from, quote, man the rational animal, end quote, to just, quote, man the animal, quote. Page 377. Isn't this exactly what John Brown and Nat Turner of Dr. Carrier's liberal tradition did? Argument? Did Dr. Carrier's beloved communist U.S. government come to power through argument here in my southern homeland? No. It came to power by invasion, rape, pillage, and murder. Basically, all of Dr. Carrier's pietistic hypocrisy is easily refuted with a basic knowledge of southern history. <clears throat> Number 10. Dr. Carrier exposes his own materialist tradition in Occam's razor. Quote, Earlier, I described how the universe is patterned in such a way that complex things are the accumulation of simpler things across a span of time. And this is the case even in space, where complex structures are at once comprised of the integration of simpler ones. As a result, the quest for scientific truth has often benefited from a preference for simplicity, even though this is not always what we find. Science's quest for the simpler is, of course, an obvious product of the fact of reduction. Because complex things are made of simple ones, to explain the complex scientists must look for its simple, simpler causal and structural roots. Hence, since physics is a science at the most reductive level, simpler causes and components are naturally the very thing physicists are seeking. But this is far less so in, say, biology or geology. Even in the reductive quest, the hunting for the simpler origin or basis of complex things, the truth often frustrates the assumptions of scientists. The standard model of particle physics is far more complicated than anyone expected, finding over a hundred subatomic particles altogether, far more than the simple few that physicists once thought were there, or there were. And while scientists had tried for centuries to simplify the number of basic elements to four or five, it turns out there are over 90, end quote, page 224. Number 11, Dr. Carrier fails to justify the atheist basis for humility. Quote, this is often what people get out of the popular religions, painting a far less humble picture of man than metaphysical naturalism does. It is ironic that, as if engaging in a classic Freudian projection defense, theists attack atheists for escaping fears and arrogantly trying to make themselves the center of the universe, when in fact atheists, at least naturalists, do the exact opposite. In our worldview, we are just another tiny byproduct of nature, special in no sense to anyone but among ourselves, subject to a plethora of random accidents and forces, and there is no perfect or supreme being at all, least of all us. In contrast, it is theism that often... Okay, hold on, guys. i got to plug in my computer here.
Okay. Let's see, where was I? In contrast, it is theism that often encourages arrogance, encourages arrogance, making man the center of the universe, exaggerating his importance in the grand scheme of things, asserting his immortality and divine backing, making him more and more important than he really is, granting him the dangerous feeling that he has the authority of the Almighty behind him, and that everything that happens is somehow deserved. In many ways like this, religion dazzles you with sweet talk, making it easy to forget, or you unwilling to admit that it isn't true, end quote. Pages 258 to 259. It is no projection defense. When I criticize the scientific method and show the logical fallacies of the entire secular worldview, the atheists I've spoken to claim a right to complete skepticism and rest on a platform of absolute intellectual autonomy, literally making themselves the center of the universe. If indeed you believed you were just a byproduct of nature, the very possibility of free thinking would necessarily be precluded. And yet you rest on a platform of free thinking that places you at the center of the universe. These people think they know more than all the human civilizations to have ever existed put together, and they think they are humble? Number 12, Dr. Carrier's sections, 226, Moral Relativism and Moral Controversy, and 227, Defining Good and Evil, totally fail to construct a theory of morality, as I demonstrated in the chapter on ethics. Here, Dr. Carrier shows how ignorant of innate forms he is when he says, quote, Finally, how does naturalism account for the facts of human moral experience? For not only are we capable of reasoning through ethical issues, but of in intuiting the correct solutions. Where does this innate moral sense come from, and can we trust it? The naturalist answer, as described in detail in chapter 391, quote, reason versus intuition, is that any form of intuition is a skill, like any other, honed through long enculturation, habit, and experience, end quote, page 339. Something innate by definition precedes experience. Thirteen, Dr. Carrier's materialist theory of individuation was already refuted in chapter 3, quote, Once upon a time, matter and energy were thought to be two different things. That has changed. The advent of the atomic age has demonstrated beyond all reasonable doubt that matter is simply another form of energy, one among many. In fact, there is really only one fundamental substance out of which every material thing is made, energy. Light is energy, heat is energy, a magnetic, a magnetic field is energy, gravity is energy, an atom is energy, as, as is a proton or a quark. A Dodge Caravan is energy, so is a pencil. The only thing that makes each of these different from the others is the physical, spatio-temporal arrangement of that energy, the way it is bound up or set free, end quote. Page 120. <coughs> so again, he's uh, defining the matter by the spatio-temporal location of the matter. Okay, well, then you'd ask them, well, how do you define the spatio-temporal location? And they'd say, well, by the matter that occupies it. So it's a circular argument. <laughs> they define the one by the other, and the other they define by the one. You see that? It's completely circular. Atheists or materialists cannot even, they can't even individuate any numeric substance or any numeric subject out in nature. They have no way to individuate anything.
See that? Because there's no indivisible, indivisible particle of matter that they found by which they can individuate any matter. Everything's the same substance, and uh, they can't use math or they can't use measurements or anything to individuate anything either because they, they have the problem of the infinite. There's infinite... There's an infinite number of points in any finite segment out in nature. Anytime you take a measurement, the decimals go on infinitely. See that? So it's all just approximations. It's all reduces to the arbitrary. <laughs> the only way you can get any distinction, get any absolute distinction, is if an omniscient mind, is if these distinctions exist as abstract propositions in the mind of, an, of, of God and he reveals them to you and imposes them upon the creation in terms of positive law. He actually imposes the distinctions upon the creation and reveals those distinctions to you. That's the only way you can account for distinction. Otherwise, you can't. All right, well, I think I'm going to end it there. I'm going to cut this one short because I'm getting tired here. But uh, thanks for listening, guys, and I will talk to you later. All right, bye. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.